Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. I tell you what, sometimes I just feel like it's tough to, to follow uh, certain worship songs, and that was certainly a, a powerful one. So, Kristen and I, wherever you are, where you are back, I was like, where are you, Kristen? I want to thank you for leading that song, Kristen, and just those reminders, and for our praise team for joining with her and singing the songs and just being reminded of, of how good God is, how much he has uh, shown that he has loved us through his son, Jesus, and so thank you for that. Well, if you have a, a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I hope you've brought that with you. Go ahead and turn to a very familiar book by now. Uh, that is Philippians chapter 3. I gave you a break last week, um, but I'm not done with this book. I hope you're not done with this book either, because Philippians 3 actually acts as the halfway point uh, in this letter, in this sermon series, as we've been walking through this letter. And listen, I know it has been a journey, you could even say a marathon, but you're halfway there, uh, so go ahead and give yourself a pat on the back, right, you're halfway, we got, we got the second half to go, and listen, I've already plotted it out, I'm thinking, based on my math, if it's right, that we will be done by November, uh, just in time for our Christmas series, so be on the lookout for that. Now, of course, I'm, I'm kidding in saying all of that, I promise you, um, actually, I believe the second half will go a little bit quicker than the first half, but, but on a more serious note... Uh, I do hope that you've enjoyed this sermon series because what this sermon series has done, at least for me, as I've prepared for these messages all throughout these months, it's, it's allowed me just to slow down uh, and to be able to really get into the text, to really have a, a, just a, a deep and thorough uh, study and understanding of this letter. And, and really what I hope it's brought you to is just to, to treasure God's work. To realize that God's word is, it, it's alive. It's real. It has the ability to transform our hearts and lives. And I pray that as we continue on in this study, that's exactly what it will do. But you see, I also want to point that out to you today because as I've thought about it throughout this week, I've realized that, you know, a lot of things in life, a lot of things in life we, we once treasure, but we now find meaningless. Okay, for example, let me just give you an example of that. When I played baseball in high school, I always kept my home run balls all throughout my room. It was just kind of my, my trophy, and I, could, I would almost really obsess over them. I would pick up this ball, and I would remind myself of where I was and what the scenario was, and then I'd pick up this ball, and I, I would do the same, and I would just go down the line. I didn't have that many, but I would go down the line, and I would remind myself of my home run balls because I treasured Right, I treasured those, those home run balls, but you know, as the years have gone by, I, I couldn't tell you where a single one of those balls are now. In fact, I don't know uh, if I could tell you how many there were or how many I had. Why? Because what I once treasured, I now, f I now found, find valueless, insignificant. And I would imagine that, that you probably have similar stories as well, but you see, in contrast to all of that for the Christian, the Word of God, the, the Christian faith should be something that we not only grow in over time, but it should be something that we treasure in over time. It should be something that we, we cherish 
over time, more and more and more, because just as I mentioned to you, when we truly begin to examine and study this book, the Scriptures, when we begin to understand the power that's associated with it, the beauty of the Gospel that's found within these words, you're no longer going to see that book as just a book that you put on your your nightstand to collect dust. No, instead you're you're going to value it. You're going to treasure it because it's what gives you hope. It's what gives you peace. It's what gives you strength to go about your life today. We see in a very similar way that the same could be said of the Apostle Paul. At an early age, we know that, that Christianity was something that Paul absolutely found no worth, no value in. In fact, we know that based upon his early life and what the Scriptures tell us, we know that Paul spent much of his time actually hunting down Christians, actually persecuting the church. He, he hated them, and he especially hated his, their Savior and Lord. But we also know that when God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus, everything in Paul's life began to change. For example, instead of persecuting the church, Paul began to help build up the church. Instead of trying to prevent the spread of the gospel, Paul began to openly share the gospel. Instead of trying to imprison Christian teachers and leaders, Paul began to be a Christian teacher and leader who oftentimes was in prison, as was the case for this letter. Yet for Paul, he found meaning in it. He found joy in it. He found pleasure in it because for Paul, what once had no value or significance, he now treasured. He now cherished. He was willing to do whatever it took to get this message across to his audience, to share this hope with others. See, that's why as we come to chapter 3 now, when we look at this very opening, this this first verse he gives us in chapter 3, we shouldn't be surprised to see what he says here. Because it's just been repeated all throughout this letter, but I love that he does. He says, in addition, he's saying, I'm not done yet. In addition, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. Because for Paul, that's, that's the theme of his letter. That's, that's the theme of his life, to rejoice in any and all circumstances. And then at the end of this first verse, Paul alludes to why he believes this. Look at what it says. He says, to write to you again about this, that word this is important, it's no trouble for me and is a safeguard to you. See, what Paul is referring to here is the gospel. Because it's the gospel where, find, where, where Paul finds his hope, where he finds his joy and strength. It's, it's the gospel that Paul has come to value and treasure in his heart and his life. And it's the, the gospel that he has been dedicated to teach and share with others because it's the gospel that radically transformed his life. And Paul's sole desire is to now share that message with others. And so while Paul has already shared the gospel with the Philippian believers when he visited Philippi years before he wrote this letter, while he has already written about the gospel in the first part of this letter, as we have seen, Paul says, it's no trouble for me to just keep sharing this message with you because I want you to get this. I want you to believe this. And I want you to treasure this message. I want you to to cherish this message message just as I have. Now, before we move on, and I understand this is an introductory verse, but before we move on, can we just pause and stop for a moment and just admire 
Paul's steadfast commitment to keep sharing the gospel. Like I said, Paul has already shared the gospel with the Philippian believers before. He's, he had probably done that dozens of times when he was in Philippi. He's already spent time in this letter to do that in the first two chapters. But now he said, I'm going to keep doing this. And I don't know about you, but I'm humbled by that. For example, how many times, and I know I'm speaking on behalf of you right now, but I think about my own life, how many times do we as, as Sunday school teachers, do we as Bible teachers or just parents, who are trying to teach our kids the things of the Bible, in particular the gospel, how often do we share that gospel in that moment, in that time, but then we just we move on to other things? See, what I mean by that is that while it's important to teach biblical things like how to pray, how, how to give, how to serve others, we need to always, always connect that message back to the message, that being the message of the gospel. That is the root of where all these other things come from. In other words, the gospel teaches us why we should live the lives that we are called to live as it relates to the Bible. And listen, as a teacher of the Bible myself, I can sometimes get in this mentality and just say, but but I'll always share the gospel. Can I talk about something else? And listen, you can and you should, but you should always tie whatever you're talking about back to the message of the gospel. Because it all starts here. Everything flows out of the gospel. And so Paul, understanding this and realizing this and cherishing this and and cherishing this, he says, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep sharing this message of the gospel. And so we ought to do the same thing. We ought to rejoice in opportunities to share the gospel with others. Listen, even if it's your 100th time, you should consider that joy, just as Paul did. All right, so Paul, he he loves the gospel. He treasures the gospel. He's committed to sharing the gospel with these Philippian believers, even if he has to repeat himself, but now... Look at verse 1 again, because in this verse, Paul drops another hint as to why he wants to continue to preach the gospel to them. Okay, look at what he says at the end of verse 1 again. He says, to write to you again about this, that's the gospel, is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Okay, sometimes I say underline certain words. If you're one to underline things, well, that word safeguard should be one of those words that I believe you should, you should underline. Because Paul is concerned about the Philippians' safety and primarily their spiritual safety. And so he wants to preach the message of the gospel to them because he realizes that if they believe that, if they understand that, then it's going to protect them from certain dangers. Now the question then becomes, well, well what then are those dangers? You hear me? What then is Paul worried or concerned about? Well, the answer is this, false teachers. Paul is concerned about those who preach heresy. Paul is concerned about those who preach a message that is is contrary to the true gospel found in the Word of God. And so look with me now at verse 2, as Paul describes these teachers. He says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now keep in mind that, that Paul is talking about people. He's describing people right here. So to say these things to someone would have been shocking to the Philippian believers, but I believe that's exactly why Paul decided to use this language here. 
You see, false teachers, listen to this, have the ability, oftentimes at least, to, to blend in, to not always stick out, to not always be obvious. Jesus says in Matthew 7 about false teachers, says, they come to you in what? In sheep's clothing. Okay, what he means by that is, is they, they look innocent. They look like everything is, is fine, that they're harmless. But then he goes on to say, but, but inwardly, their message, they are like ferocious wolves. They teach a message that is contrary to what Jesus taught. It teaches a message contrary to what the gospel is all about. And so that is what Paul is trying to get the Philippian believers to understand. Okay, now listen, not to go super nerdy on you here, but let me just let you kind of in on exactly who Paul is talking about here because it doesn't necessarily say in the text, but we can gather this together based on some other, um, some other sources. The people that Paul is talking about here are a group of people, maybe you've heard of them before, called the Judaizers. Okay, you ever heard of that group, the Judaizers? That's who Paul is talking about here. Ultimately, the Judaizers, they were willing to accept Jesus as the Messiah, but they still wanted to hold on to to certain forms of Judaism, okay? Hence the name Judaizers. Okay? In, in particular, the, the, they basically believed this and taught this. They believed that in order for a Gentile, that's someone who's not a Jew, to be saved, they had to first become a Jew, and to first become a Jew in those days, you had to be circumcised. You had to, to follow the law of Moses, okay? And so in essence, what the Judaizers were teaching and what they were teaching to the Philippian believers, who by the way were mostly Gentiles, was that in order for someone to be saved, they had to believe in the gospel, yes, but they also, in addition to that, had to physically do something else for God to to truly accept him as his children. So Paul hearing about this, Paul seeing this, tells the Philippian believers, no, don't believe any of that stuff. Because listen to this, when you add to the gospel you lose the gospel. Did you hear that? When you add to the gospel, you lose the gospel because the gospel is not Jesus plus your works. No, the gospel is Christ and Christ alone, period. In fact, Paul makes this all the, all the clearer for us in verse 3 when he says, for, for we are the circumcision." In other words, we're not saved through a physical circumcision of the flesh. No, instead, we're saved through a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And Paul further reiterates this message for us in Galatians 6.15 when he says, For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. So Paul says, watch out for these teachers. Watch out for this counterfeit gospel that they're trying to feed you. Spiritually speaking, they are trying to attack you and and mutilate your heart almost like dogs and not the cute fluffy kinds like we have today, right? Wild ravaging dogs who want to devour you, in particular want to devour your heart because they're teaching a message that is contrary to the true word of God. And so what Paul is doing here is he's explaining to the Philippian believers who, again, by the way, are mostly Gentiles, what a Christian is and what a Christian isn't. He's saying a a true Christian is not someone who bases their faith solely on their lineage, who bases their faith solely on traditions or, or some ceremony or some physical works like the Judaizers do. Don't believe any of that, but instead base your faith in Christ and what he has done on your 
behalf. Now in the last part of this section, this letter that we're going to really look at, Paul is going to, to further explain to us what this looks like. Okay, so to explain this more in detail, what Paul's going to do, he's going to give us three marks. Okay, and this is going to guide the rest of our time today. He's going to give us three marks that we ought to look for and make sure that we also have if we are to consider ourselves and others to be true followers of Christ. So the first mark that he gives us is this. We serve by the Spirit of God. We serve by the Spirit of God. In other words, a true follower of Christ has the Spirit of God in them, and it is that Spirit that leads them to worship God. Let me show you. Look at verse 3. Paul says, for we are the circumcision. Okay, that means that's, 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 that's the true Christian who has been not physically born again, but spiritually born again. The ones who, listen to this, worship by the Spirit of God. There's that phrase. Now listen, we, we need to understand for a moment that when Paul uses this word worship right here in this verse, he isn't just speaking about what we do on a Sunday morning worship service like the one that we're gathered here today. Okay? Instead, this worship is actually maybe better understood as our service to God. In other, in other words, yes, you have an opportunity to worship God right now. We've, we've sung songs about Him. We've prayed prayers to Him. We're reading the Scriptures about Him. Praise God. We're worshiping God right now. But we also have an opportunity to worship God by being a Christ, Christian witness in our jobs, by serving and praying for others in our community, by leading our family well, by raising our children in a, in a godly way, and the, right, the list can go on and on. So the question then becomes, well, well what makes a person want to do that? Because that's, that's, that's kind of contrary to a lot of people. What makes a person want to do those things? What drives that person? What, what motivates that person to want to live in that type of way? Well, again, the answer is the Spirit of God. You see, as Christians, the Spirit of God, it dwells in us, and that Spirit gives us a desire to hopefully not only want to worship God right now on Sundays, but want to worship God Monday through Saturday too. In fact, that's what we were created to do, to worship God, to give Him glory through our lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink, you know this verse, or whatever you do, do everything, in all caps, for the glory of God. Why? Because that's what you were created to do. So let me ask you this morning, does, does that describe you? Is that a mark that is visible in your lives today? Are you resting and rejoicing in the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in you, enabling you to worship and serve Him, or are you solely basing your assurance of salvation on the fact that you're here right now on Sunday? On the fact that you sang a song, and praise God you did, but is that all you're basing it on? Or are you basing it on the fact that the Spirit of God lives in you? And this Spirit dwells in you and drives you and motivates you to do these things. See, only when we live in that way will we truly know, have the assurance of salvation, the fact that we know that we are a true believer in Christ. And so I pray this morning that if you're basing your faith solely on the fact that you're a member of this church 
or solely on the fact that you consistently come here for worship on Sundays, that God would show you that is not necessarily an authentic faith. That could be a counterfeit faith. It is only when we invite the Spirit of God into our lives and allow Him to steer and guide and direct our lives to worship Him and serve Him, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday too, are we saved? Does that describe you? All right, so according to Paul, right, this first mark of a true believer is that they serve or are worshiped by the Spirit of God. And then Paul's going to go on and give us another mark. And that's this a true believer, a true believer boasts not in himself, but in Christ, in Christ alone. Look at verse 3 again as Paul shows us this. Paul says, For we are the circumcised, the true believers the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Now look at this next part. Boast in Christ Jesus. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that as Christians, our glory is found only in Christ. In fact, our mind should be drawn to what Paul famously says in Galatians 6. He says, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I to the world. See, as Christians, we don't find personal glory in our earthly status, in our achievements, or in our gifts. No, instead, we are to find our glory and our praise in Christ, because we realize that without Christ, we wouldn't have salvation. We wouldn't have a personal relationship with God. We wouldn't have all of those things which, again, are an eternal satisfaction and are a heavenly gift sent by God himself. That's why Paul says that when we, we boast, we must boast only in Christ and Christ alone. And so listen, just to be real practical here, if you meet someone who claims to be a Christian but isn't making much of Christ, then you have good reason to be very suspicious of their message. Because you see, the, the Christian life is not a self-exalting Life, it is a Christ exalting life. Let me say that one more time. The Christian life, it's it's not a self exalting life of, of look at me, look what I've done. No, it's look what Jesus has done on my behalf. That is a mark of a true believer. So, again, may I ask you, which one describes you? Which one truly describes you? What, what mark describes you? Do you boast? In Christ, again, not just on Sundays, it's easy to do. Everyone's doing that. But are you boasting about Christ in your, in your, in your friendships? Are, are you boasting in Christ at school students? Are you boasting in Christ at your workplace, adults? Are you boasting in Christ in the privacy of your own home? Or, or do you boast only in yourself? Always putting the spotlight, always putting on the praise of Look what I am, look what I, look what I have done, and look at me. You see, a, a real and authentic Christian should be marked by many different things, but boasting in Christ and Christ alone should be at the top of that list. And so again, may I ask you, does that describe you? Lastly, Paul gives us one more mark of an authentic and real Christian. And this third mark is it's found Uh, in verse 3, but it's this. A real and authentic Christian puts no confidence in the flesh. 
A real and authentic Christian puts, puts no confidence in the flesh. Let me show you this. Again, we're going to begin in this verse 3 again. But Paul says, for we are the circumcision. This is what it means to be a believer. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God, the ones who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. There's that phrase, but look at verse 4. Paul's going to keep going and explain this more. Paul says, although I have reasons, he's talking about himself, for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. Okay, so that's Paul talking about all these things, and we're going to get that more in a moment. But, but what I want you to see is that this final mark really is associated with the second. Right? Paul says the people of God do not put confidence in the flesh because everyone is going to put their confidence somewhere. But for the Christian, we don't put it in ourselves or in other things, and we put it only in Christ, which is the reason why a true believer boasts and rejoices, which we just talked about a moment ago. Okay, so what we need to understand here is, is that these false teachers, again, the, the Judaizers, who Paul's referring to, they appealed to their own impressive Jewish credentials as the reason why God favored them over a Gentile like, like you or a Gentile like the Philippian believer. They were Paul saying, hold up, hold up. That's not the message of the gospel for Christ came to save all people and it's not about who you are and what you've done. No, it's about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on your behalf. So to drive this point home, Paul just gives himself as an example of this. You see, if anyone could boast in Christ, well, it was Paul, right? Paul had all the status, he had all the credentials that, that the Judaizers had, even more so. And so in verse 5, he says, listen, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which in Jewish culture was a pretty big deal. It meant you had special favor or status. He said, I was born in the nation of Israel, which meant he was no Gentile, but was a descendant of Abraham. He says, I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin, which, by the way, was one of the most distinguished tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrew, which meant that he was fluent in Greek, but he, was, he never abandoned his Hebrew culture, which was a big deal. He was at one time a Pharisee, which meant he was part of a, a morally superior group of Jews. And then in verse 6, he says, I had zeal and passion as a Pharisee, as I was. I was widely known as a persecutor of the church and had a zeal to do that prior to my conversion. And then regarding the righteousness that's in the law, Paul says, I'm blameless, not in that I didn't sin, but that I lived an honest and honorable life following this Old Testament law. In other words, what Paul is saying, listen, if anyone has the right to boast and to be proud of themselves and say, look at me, it's, it is me. Because I've done all of these things. I have every reason to be self-righteous. I have every reason to consider myself as being acceptable before God. But notice what Paul says in the next couple of verses. He says, beginning in verse 7, But everything that was gained to me, all of these credentials, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything, everything, to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. I love the language there. It's just strong. Listen up. I'm serious. So that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my, 
of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on works, based on credentials, based on status. No, based on faith. Based on faith. Now listen, I'm not going to lie. I love that passage. Okay, probably my favorite passage in Philippians. And even though I wasn't supposed to and told Brandon that I was going to move on after this, I'm actually going to preach on that passage next Sunday, more in depth. So I hope that's okay, because there is a lot going there. But also understand you don't want to listen to a two-hour sermon, because you want your elegave and you want your cheese dip. So listen, I, 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 all, that to say, all that to say, I want to study this text more next Sunday. There's a lot going on here. I'm pumped about it. I know where I'm going. I see what Paul's saying, and it's, it's amazing. I want to share that with you. But I want to just go ahead and read it to you today. Okay, because this shows us, this shows us that Paul had all these things to be proud of. He said, I had all of these accomplishments under my belt. But he said, I was willing to lose all of them. I love the word everything in there. Everything. He says it multiple times. Everything. Even that part. Yes, I'm willing to lose that. Why? Because of Christ. Because I want to be found not in that stuff. It doesn't last. I want to be found in Him. I want to know Him. In other words, Paul understood something that we need to understand. Maybe you've heard it before. But it's this. Christianity. It's not found in a religion. It's found in a relationship with Christ. Someone may need to hear that. Christianity, it's not found in all of these to-dos and look-at-me's and this thing that we sometimes call religion. No, it's found ultimately in a relationship with Christ. Paul understood that, that authentic Christianity, it's not found in personal acclaim or, or status. That it's found in the personal acclaim or status of Jesus who paid for our sins and set us free. He understood it's not about checking off all of these spiritual boxes in an attempt to appease God and to make us feel good about ourselves in Sunday, but it's about wanting to, to know Christ, wanting to trust in Christ, and wanting to be found in Christ. And so again, that brings me to the question of does that describe you? Does that describe you? Do you have that type of passion? Do you want to know Christ? To not say, look at me, look what I've done. Say, look at Jesus. And look at what he has done on my behalf. So there's a lot of people out there, unfortunately a lot of people, I believe, in the church who think that as long as they attend Sunday services like the one we're gathered here today, then, then they'll be saved. They think that as long as they stay out of trouble, as long as they, they try their best, then, then God's going God's to award them for that. God's going to favor them with that through salvation. They think that as long as they can say all the right things, as long as they can do all the right things, as long as they can say amen when the preacher says something good or sing the songs with everybody else, then they're going to be counted at the end as a believer. I'm reminded of the passage in... Matthew, where all of those people, Jesus says, will come up to him and they're expecting to be accepted into the kingdom of God and Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to say, well, didn't you see me do that? Didn't you see me at Fredonia Baptist Church? I was there every Sunday. D -d didn't you see me over here? I was teaching that group at VBS. 
Didn't you see me at my home? I mean, I, I tried to be, I know I wasn't perfect, but I tried to be a good person. And Jesus is going to say, I, I didn't, I didn't know you. Because that's where you were finding your salvation. But it's not, it's not found, those things are good, but it's not found in those things. It's found only in a relationship with me. To know me, to trust me to believe the things that I did for you, to believe those things in your heart and in your life. So that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a true believer. Paul would say, if, if you want to know what a true, authentic Christian looks like, then look at these three things. Look at the, are, are, they, are they serving with the Spirit of God? Are, are, are they boasting in Christ? Are they not finding any value or purpose in their flesh, but are, but are just a vessel to be used, not for their own kingdom, but His? So that's, that's it. That, that's the person that we are to find our worth and value in. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our jobs. It's not in our families. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. Would you pray with me?